and welcome to another episode of the Discovering Your Soul podcast. Today's guest is Emily Loves, who is a men's dating coach and the co-founder of M Loves, which is an awesome program that helps men find love that lasts. In this conversation with Emily, Emily shares her own experience when going on a dating experiment that she did when she was younger and how she was able to identify and heal her own attachment patterns that showed up while dating. She shares her experience with us in order to help us identify and discover what our attachment patterns may be in dating. In addition, we go into what we both believe is really important in a long-term relationship and what it may be important to look for if you are currently single and or dating or planning on dating. So I think this conversation is definitely one that is very informational, especially if you know anybody in your life that identifies as male and you want to help them get the support that they may need in order to find the type of relationship that they truly desire. And I think regardless of what anyone identifies as, this conversation will be really important in helping us to build our own relationship self-awareness that will only strengthen any existing relationships or help us find the love that we desire. Hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Emily. Thanks so much for being on the Discovering Your Soul podcast. I'm super excited to have you and to talk with you. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. So I want to ask you to start off. What is something that you have recently discovered about yourself on your journey? Ooh. Um, well, I'm really diving into friendship this year and I recently discovered that I need to be a lot more proactive about friendship and like inviting people to do things. And so that has been an interesting journey this year. Oh, I relate to that so hard. I know that you and I have talked off record about this, about friendships, and we even brought in attachment and things like that. And with you being a dating coach, I would love to know, are you applying the things that you are talking to your clients about into your own way of relating to friendships? Yeah. You know, it's really interesting is so 10 years ago, I did a 100 date experiment, which is how I got into um, dating coaching. And I was able to heal an avoidant attachment in romantic relationships. Um, And I don't know if the people listening already know what that is, but it's basically like you avoid you know, you just avoid a lot of stuff as opposed to like, I don't know, I can't, I don't know if I can give a good example of it, but like you avoid conflict, you avoid rejection. And I healed it in my romantic relationship, but I I didn't realize that I had the same thing going on in platonic relationships. And so this year has been all about like really working to get more comfortable with the fear of rejection and, you know, put myself out there a lot more. And so, yeah, it's so weird. I thought that when you solve one problem in one domain, it would just cross over, but totally not at all how it works. Could you go into that more? Like, what does that look like? And maybe going into that in the romantic context, and then maybe applying that into how are you applying that journey of healing relational attachment into platonic and and yeah so in romantic relationship, I'll just tell my story. So um, I used to always be the runner. You know, if you ever go outside of a bar where like young 20 somethings go at like 10 at night to two in the morning, you will see the runner chaser phenomenon where somebody is running away from somebody and the other person is chasing. And the runner is very often the avoidant. They're trying to avoid conflict. 
they're trying to run away from the problem. They're not dealing with it head on like a mature, responsible adult. And it happens from the way that we experienced caregivers in childhood. Like if our parent maybe didn't always meet our needs, then we may learn that our needs are not going to get met. And so it's like a coping mechanism where we just don't have this secure way of communicating about conflict. We also tend to be, if you're avoidant um, in romantic relationships, a lot of times you'll exit a relationship rather than dealing with the conflict. You're just like, I'm out of here. So in my romantic relationship 10 years ago, um, I was dating another avoidant who's now my fiance. And he played the same game on me. He said, well, we had some fight about something so stupid. I don't even remember what it was. Then he goes, well, don't let the door kick you on the way out. So I go to the bathroom and I'm all upset and I'm like, dang it. That's how I, you know, that's my line. Usually I go run and then somebody chases, but I knew that he wouldn't come chase me if I left. Right. So I was like, what am I going to do? Right. Cause I, I kind of recognized in that moment, it was a game. Like it wasn't even, it was just this game that I would play to get attention or to get what I wanted or whatever. And so in that conflict, romantically, I was like, well, I got to figure out a way for him to not throw me out because I know that we can get through this. So I just got butt naked and sat on his couch. And I was like, you're not going to throw me out of your apartment if I'm naked. <laughs> I love that. It was so, so weird. <laughs> not even just like, not even symbolically, you literally yeah, were butt naked. like on his couch. I'm like, you're not throwing me out of your house naked. And it sounds so stupid, but it was like the first time that I changed because I, I met another avoidant and I really liked him, you know, and I was like, I can't play the same game anymore. So that was the beginning of the healing process romantically. And now, you know, over 10 years, we've really learned to like, when we have conflict, communicate and sit down and talk about it and try not to use weaponized words, you know, like make I statements, not you, you're crazy, ah, you know. And so I teach my students to do that as well. And in friendship, how that has shown up for me, it's, you know, it's so subtle. The avoidant, that's the person who like just doesn't reach out, who just doesn't invite you, who just like declines invitation, you know, like it's more subtle, but you start realizing over time that you're like super lonely because you're not ever making an effort and people don't like that. You know, people like both give and take That's kind of how friendship and romantic relationship works. And so, yeah, a big thing that I've learned this year is, Hey, I have to invite as well as accept invitations, you know? And so that's been really new for me. I think the, the core of it all is a fear of loss or a fear of abandonment and a fear of rejection. And you really have to learn to be vulnerable and put yourself out there. And that's an interesting process in itself because you're like, man, this is like way harder than it should be because I've spent all my life avoiding this so I don't get hurt. But kind of have to face it if you want meaningful relationships of all kinds. I definitely relate to that. I mean, it's been interesting. I've noticed myself floating in and out of different attachment styles. Like for the longest time, I was very what people know as like anxious or like anxious preoccupied attachment style. And then I feel like as a result of being hurt or, you know, understandable circumstances that lead you to protect your heart more, it's like I've now shifted more into avoidant myself I kind of flip in between that and so I think a lot of people listening are going to relate to this of this avoidant dance that can happen in relationships or anxious avoidant or there's even disorganized attachment of course there's secure which is like the journey right of becoming secure but if somebody were to come to you and say hey I have noticed that I tend to right now have avoidant tendencies what are the first steps I can take 
to start to heal this? Like, what would you tell someone in terms of like tangible steps of how to start moving away from that and towards secure? Yeah. I teach my students a, a process called mega dating that I think naturally heals this. And I think it's why I was able to heal it in my 100 date experiment. It's basically the process romantically. You can do this platonically as well, but it's the process of going on a bunch of dates in rapid succession because it forces you to take action and be proactive in areas of your life where you maybe were sitting back waiting for people to come to you. And it also allows you to compare and contrast different people so quickly that you not only see patterns in your own selection process, like with an avoidant, a lot of times you're attracted to anxious, an anxious person. And so if you're like dating really quickly, or even if you're platonically meeting a lot of people really quickly, you can see easier because you're comparing so many people. Oh, there's a pattern happening here that I don't like. I seem to be attracted to people who are clingy and it makes me feel like I need to run away from them. Or if you have anxious attachment, you might notice this pattern of getting deeply connected to somebody a little too quickly, like a little too intensely. And really it's not actually about that connection with that person. It's about unhealed wounds from childhood. From your experience with uh, your students who you teach this to, have you come across people that have experienced paradox of choice, right? Of like, there's so many choices, so I can kind of dip out and not put in the work for this person, yeah. you know, because there's someone better. How do you like frame that? Or how does that dialogue go of when is it time to stop looking and put in the work? You know, especially with avoidant of like, oh, I got to bounce. There's conflict, you know, because conflict is inevitable, right? And and challenges are going to be inevitable with two different human beings. So what do you advise for people that, you know, are mega dating or in these situations where they feel that desire to run, even though it is somebody that really does share the same values and could be a really good fit? I always set a goal. Because I think it's really good to have tangible goals. And I recommend people that I work with go on 20 dates in 90 days. And really, that's a process of like uncovering your own patterns, learning about your own selection process, what you're attracted to, what you're not attracted to. And some people want to jump in a relationship before that. And some people, they go on a lot more dates. Like I went on a lot more dates. But you eventually, you know, if you're doing that so much, you, you really, it becomes so easy to identify a keeper. So I haven't run into that too much that people just keep wanting to be single. I'd say that that's more likely uh, they're avoiding intimacy, mm. but I don't see that a lot, you know, because at least I work with all men and it's way harder for men in the courting phase. They got to do a little bit more work. Um, not that it's not difficult for women, but I don't think many men want to be this player at all. At least not the students mm. I work with. They kind of want to find that person and, Oftentimes, they're more willing to jump in too quickly than to date forever and ever. I think, I don't know, I just think that when you find that person that really makes you feel good, you get to the point where you're like, I'd rather just continue seeing them than to find somebody new. So how do you coach somebody or guide someone into relational self-awareness? You know, asking the questions of like, how do I feel around this person? What side of me do they bring out? Do we share the same values? Like, how do you guide them? I don't know if, you know, I certainly myself did not really have this relational self-awareness entering into 
the dating world and kind of looking within of like, does this person align with me on what matters? So how do you guide your students into that process of self-awareness? So I have them introspect after every date. I give them a date journal and I ask them very specific questions um, to try and A, if I'm reviewing their date journal, I can see if they, they were more in their head or if they were present on the date. Because a big part of it is just getting present, like getting out of your head and getting rid of all that, like, oh, what does she think of me? And so I ask questions like, what color were her eyes? If you can't remember that, you weren't there. Ooh, that's good. Color of her eyes. That's really good. Wow. It's simple, but it really tells you a lot about, was I there? Like, was I in the room or was I in my head floating around? So that's a big part of it. And then paying attention to subtle things like, did she make you laugh? Did conversation feel natural or forced? What felt good? What felt weird? And those things sometimes really tell you a lot. Just these little tiny moments that, oh, the energy shifted a little bit. Well, what were we talking about? Or what was in the, what was going on in the environment? So just becoming more introspective after every single experience can really help. That's so cool that there's a journal. I mean, that's awesome. I wish that more people would have a practice like that of like just actually taking time to reflect versus like do, 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 just like keep and not taking that time to actually process what their experience is. That's so cool. And I'm just curious too, what inspired you to work with men in particular? You know, when I did the experiment, I was dating men and I would do videos for them. Like I would review the date and they would watch it because they knew what I was doing. I learned early on, like tell people what you're doing so that there's no hard feelings. And they would watch and they were like, wow, this is so helpful because women don't ever say what's up. They just ghost you. They just like, you know, oh, you're so nice, but I'm not really feeling it. But they don't tell you like, it's because you touched me weird or, you know. And so I would break it down kind of because I already think like a man. I'm very logical and like analytical. And so I think it just naturally, I speak kind of man language or I think in man language, but I can break down emotional, the emotional side of women for men. So I just think it was more natural. And so if there are any men listening right now that are perhaps single or they're currently dating, what would you say are the common things that you're seeing right now, like in this, this modern time, what are some of the common things that you're seeing that you wish men knew more about like ahead of time to, you know, not do or to think about? Yeah. A huge problem is that they don't go for the date invitation. So like a major, major um, foundational principle that I teach is something called a TDL, which stands for time, date, location. And that's the call to action a woman needs to say yes or no. A lot of times guys are like, we should hang out sometime or they don't actually ever propose a date. And so you're, you've got a pen pal back and forth forever on the apps and women are overwhelmed with messages. It's like, I don't have time to be your pen pal. Like, what do you want? You know? So being direct in your intention, going for that date invitation quickly, and then doing it in a way where you're giving her that information she needs the day, the time, the location, what's special about that location. Why should she say yes to you? Um, all of that I think is probably the biggest mistake I see men make. I see. So yeah, there's a lot of like, a, we should hang out, but then it's like cricket, 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 yeah. cricket, or like texting. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. And have you noticed common challenges for men in terms of their experience? And we're talking about heteronormative uh, relationships here, but what do your students say a lot about what they're experiencing with like challenges with women? 
on their dates. Yeah, women have a lot of objections. And I think that we do it naturally. Um, I think it's an evolutionary thing because we're trying to see how persistent the man will be. Because I know that I've done this with men I liked. Like when they, in the past, when they had asked me for my number, I'd say no. When I really meant yes, but it was like I was trying to see how hard they would work or like I believed that, oh, well, fate will bring us back together. You know, these things that we think. Um, so I think men get frustrated with having to objection handle, but you've got to learn that because if you just give up the first time she doesn't respond or the first time she says no, she may not have said no to like you. She might've just said, no, I can't do that time. You know, so getting really good at that is important. And I think that's something that a lot of men get frustrated with. Yeah, I I definitely relate to that. I feel like when I was especially younger, I feel like I would test a lot. (laughs) I, I don't, I don't know if I was really like conscious that I was doing this but I feel like there would always be objections yeah I don't think we know that we do it well we do so many tests you know like I've had times when I go to somebody's house back when I was single and I would take all my makeup off Mm. I never do that but I wanted to know if they liked me for me and just there's so many ways that we do it I just think it's an evolutionary process to really make sure that we're choosing the right partner because for women it's a lot more dangerous we have a lot more at risk right we potentially can become pregnant and carry the child for nine months. Our parental investment is greater, which means we, we have to be more selective as a, as a gender. About our mates. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that actually makes, that makes a lot of sense. And I got to ask you too, because we're now in this era, obviously of online dating and there's more meet cute online than IRL stories. So what is that like, like you've seen it, you know, from your, programs and your coaching and your students do you think that online dating is more or less challenging than meeting in real life do you have a lot of students that are doing online dating or are you having them meet people in real life like what is what is that like these days yeah I think the dating apps are the easiest way to meet people um I won't say it is easy but it's way easier than meeting in person so like my primary goal for my students is that they fill up their funnel so they can go on enough dates to make a date to really gain the experience they need to find the right person. And the apps, they allow you to get in front of more people. You meet somebody at a bar, you're throwing spaghetti at the wall because you really don't know if you have anything in common. Do your core values align? Do you share the same hobbies? Are they at the same intellectual level? Do they have the same political preferences? These things that you can find out on the dating app with a simple filter. If you know how to set up your dating profile, I think it's way more efficient and way more effective. The the people that you can meet are so much more compatible than they were when we didn't use dating apps. And what are some common, I don't want to say mistakes, but what are some common things you see when people are setting up dating profiles that may make it more challenging for them to achieve their, their goal of finding somebody? Like, what do you think, what are you seeing with your students or perhaps just hearing them talk about too? I think just having zero strategy, like going in and being like, well, these are the last five photos in my phone. And let me just think of something top of, you know, on the top of my head about what I'm going to write, as opposed to like, you spend a lot of years in school so that you have the education you need to get the job you want. You don't just want to slap up a profile to find the partner you're going to spend forever with, right? You got to put effort into that as well if you want what you want. It's not just going to happen by chance. It's not just a fairy tale. It could be, but you got to put in work to get there. So I think that's, you know, just not putting in the effort and then taking terrible photos, really. I mean, if your photos are not competitive, you just won't have the results that you want. And what's what's an example of that? 
like what are do you think ideal photos or like a mix you know nowadays you can have like multiple photos on a profile what do you think is a great summary of photos that someone could put on their dating profile well that is a secret that I teach in my program but I can give you a couple tips one you know a lot of people think I shouldn't be smiling I should be looking into the distance all serious no the most attractive thing you can do is smile and look at the camera the eyes are the doorway to the soul she needs to be able to see your eyes and you should be smiling and looking at the camera so that you don't look like a serial killer because that's like what we're thinking about as women. We're like, is this guy a killer? Eh, might be. Let me swipe left because I got a million other options. I want to bring back to something that you said earlier about life partner and you talked about core values and things like that. If there are listeners right now that are in the process of wanting to find their life partner and they're figuring out what is important and what is not. If somebody has the same core values as me, but they don't dress the way I like, you know, from your experience too, because, you know, you found your life partner. And what do you think is actually important for long-term success in finding a life partner. Yeah. Yeah. Core values are so huge. When I was dating, I thought I wanted a six foot tall Latino CEO who danced. That was my checklist. If that had been all that I was open to, I would have never met my partner who is legit, like the perfect compliment for me. So I think, you know, easing up on like those not like physical preferences. You should be attracted to your partner, but got to make six figures and he's got to be six feet tall. Now you're really wiping out a lot of people. What I learned was, is this person thoughtful? Do they do what they say they're going to do? Are they kind? Like you would be surprised those things were never on my list. And I met- Mine either when I was younger. Yeah, I met so many guys who, who were, you know, I dated athletes, I dated CEOs, I dated da 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 And it was empty. And what really stood out clearly, like my partner was like a hundred times more amazing than anyone I dated. And I dated a lot. So it was clear to me. He was so kind and he was so thoughtful and he always wanted to make, he always wants to make everybody feel good. And so that, and then, you know, things that I think that have made it last over the years is we both definitely share like similar core values. We have like a crazy work ethic, both of us. We're both entrepreneurs. We love that about each other. We went into business with each other right away. We actually have totally, not totally different political preferences, but um, we vote on different sides of the street. And then, you know, in terms of religion, I would say we're relatively different there as well. So I wouldn't write people off. Uh, That's why I recommend mega dating is like, if you think that you wouldn't get along, okay, I'm going to just say it. I am not a Trump person, but if you think you wouldn't get along with a Trump lover and you're like, Trump lover, swipe left, I would encourage you to open your mind, get curious rather than defensive because you never know why. There might be a really good reason for somebody to have a different viewpoint than you or believe in something that you don't believe in. Like my first client ever, who's now a really good friend of mine said, I'll never date a woman who hates cats or is religious. He's a atheist and he breeds cats. So he has like 10 cats. Well, I was just in his wedding this year. He married a woman who was super deathly allergic to cats and who's super religious. So be careful, right? What you're, what you think is important, test it, really challenge it and be like, well, what if they had all these other things? Like then would it really be that big of a deal? Maybe I should open my mind a little. Yeah, no, I I really love that of like just keeping an open mind and 
think just like sitting with that experience, right, of, you know, even like you were talking about, and thank you for sharing your own. I think it's always wonderful to apply, you know, what you've been learning in your own relationship. I'm sure that's really valuable for your students as well of how you both have like handled that not everything is going to be the same. I mean, you know, I've had to have this with my previous history of I used to really be drawn to like emotionally unavailable men that were all physically ooh like this and this and this but then there was like we didn't share any internal nothing internal no internal values right then moving into the kindness and the and the compassion and all of that how do you encourage someone to sit with that of how there are differences like like for example maybe if you could share you know how do you and your partner deal with the differences that you have you know it's funny um so i think part of the reason why i'm open to it is because a lot of times we choose similar traits that our parents have and my dad and i uh we do not have the same political preferences we do not share the same belief system we don't even share the same religion having a a relationship a close relationship with somebody that you love that you don't see eye to eye with I think probably has something to do with it. It's like, I'm not going to stop loving that person because they don't believe what I believe in. Um, And my partner kind of shares a lot of those things in common with what my dad thinks. So it's like, maybe that's part of it. You know, maybe it's just a daddy issue, (laughs) but, but, you know, I think it's also, I studied politics and um, they taught me in school, always look at the other side. Mm. And, And actually we would have to like argue for the other side it made us really see that, hey, it's great to have more than one perspective because otherwise life would be so boring. That makes me think immediately of the whole idea of just acceptance, right? Just accepting that people are different from you. I mean, I myself had to fight this whole pattern I had when I was younger of almost unconsciously wanting to just date my twin and then realizing that that might be comfortable, but I don't know how much growth will come with, you know, just both people always agreeing on like everything. And there's just no, you know, learning about conflict resolution and sitting with discomfort, opening up your world, right, to like different perspectives. And I've even noticed now in my own life, even with myself and my own relationship and with my friends around me that are married and engaged, that they seem to just be different. Like they seem to complement each other, but be different humans Mm -hmm. they don't necessarily enjoy doing all the same hobbies or doing all the same things but they share the core value of caring for others or compassion or spirituality Mm -hmm. you know or things like that so is that also something that you incorporate or you you're seeing with your students you kind of see sometimes this like need to want to date someone that's exactly the same I don't know I don't get as deep in the weeds with as many students some of them you know I try to have relatively strong boundaries but some of them get in there you know and like one of my closest friends was one of my first students but so I don't see a ton of it uh on my side so I really I don't know if I can answer that but like I said that that student in particular who's like I'll never date somebody like this I'm like and then they're married to him it's like obviously and and what those two really share in common is they love learning they love expanding their their curiosity and i think they push each other in good ways that's another thing too with with not having everything be the same is like your partner might push you like so my partner and i i'm really adventurous and he's more conservative i wanted to do tough mudder one year which is like a, a mud run where you challenge your fears and you know your your physical stamina and he was like really against it but he did it because he thought i would die and he was going to save me or something but it changed his life. And he's like, man, thank you so much. And we d- ended up doing like five of them. And Whoa. yeah. And so, and then of course he does it on the flip side for me, he helps me to not make 
rash decisions because I just want to, I'm very impulsive and, you know, he keeps me grounded. So having the differences can be really helpful. I think as long as you, sometimes I don't appreciate them. Sometimes I do, you know, it's like, okay, this is good. He's going to keep me grounded and I'm going to help push him out of his comfort zone, you know? So that's so awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And I think with also with you being with your partner for a decade or more, what do you think is really important in sustaining a relationship, especially you hear like keeping the spark or things like that. But I'm even talking about beyond the spark of like, what do you think is really important to keep a relationship really strong and healthy as time goes on? And especially as you both grow up and evolve and you may go off and have different interests or, you know, one person might have this like, you know, all of a sudden this need to like do something very different with their life. Like how do you stay connected together as time goes on and what do you think is like some of the the things that people should keep in mind that are especially in new relationships that will really help them go the distance yeah I mean you have to choose a partner you respect number one because if you don't have respect for them then all kinds of other things are going to cause trouble you know with that comes trust you have to trust them you have to respect them and the most important thing for sustaining a relationship is communication We've had times where we've broken up. We, I mean, it was very difficult at the seven year itch. That was a real thing. He never gave up on me, which was good. You know, we've also dealt with like um, addiction. You know, there are hard things that happen. We have death in the family. We have addiction things. We have different things. It's really about communication. And sometimes that falters, but really trying to recognize and be able to communicate with your partner when you're like, hey, I feel like you've been pretty distant lately. And then the willingness to go there. Because sometimes, you know, you're going through a hard time as a partner and you're not even willing to look at it yourself. You know, we'll oftentimes throw ourselves into work and that's kind of our coping mechanism. Just the willingness to hear your partner and to accept like what they're saying and that maybe something could be improved. I think that is really, really important. But communication, hands down. It should be a conversation in person in the same room, as opposed to like a text message, a phone call, you know, any kind of conflict needs to be resolved in person in the same, in the same place. I love that. I think that's good advice. And I think that's always a good reminder too, just to come back to communication. That's a great way to, I think, sit with any discomfort that could come up is to just communicate like, hey, I feel scared right now, or I, you know, I'm dealing with this right now. I feel like a lot of the the early stages of a relationship, the honeymoon phase is so romanticized, right? In media and like in, you know, even just some dating books really highlight intense part of the beginning. Can you tell listeners what are things to look forward to later in the relationship? Like now that you've been together for a decade, right? What do people have to look forward to that's awesome to look forward to being with someone for a long time? So I can speak to that in terms of like being young and then getting older together. So we met when I was like 25 and getting older as a woman, I don't know. I just think you, you become more confident you get more in touch with your body. So like, honestly, I think the longer you're in a relationship, if you're communicating, sex can get better um, because you feel more confident and safe with your partner. You know, there's a lot of really exciting things that happen in a long-term relationship. If you're going to have kids, if you're going to get married, if you're going to take these steps, it's like, whoa, we're, you know, buying a house, doing all of these things that are like together. And eventually you kind of realize like, whoa, you know, when, when our parents die, like it's us, 
You know, we are creating this new family, this new, creating these new traditions and these new ways of living and healing things maybe from childhood that we're giving our kids a different life than, than what happened to us. And, you know, all of those things are super, super cool. That's so awesome. I think it's so important for people to hear that. Because I feel like a lot of us have heard, you know, Disney movies and all of that. We've heard about the, the falling in love initial phase of head over heels and falling in love and like excitement and all that. And I think sometimes we don't hear enough about the beauty of growing together and people being together for like decades and, you know, and people are like, Ooh, that sounds really boring. Or that sounds, you know, like my life is going to be over. Like when that happens, you know, I'm not going to have fun anymore. And I think it's awesome just to hear that only can really get better. The more safe you are with somebody, I think the more that you can probably achieve together and like do together, right? Would you would you also say that from your experience? Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, it, it's a really good sign if you're with the right person, you'll find that you get kinder, you'll find that you make better friends. It has an impact on all relationships. Part of what is really cool about being with the right person is that you have the space to improve all of these areas of your life that you feel like may not be directly related, but they really are when you're in the right partnership. We've been able to grow a business together because we're the right match, you know? And so it's really cool to get to see all of these things. It's like planting a seed, you know, in your relationship, you're going to plant a bunch of seeds and that could be in friendship. You know, if your relationship is really healthy and it gives you space to explore your friendships, that's a seed that you plant. And then maybe your friends meet your partner and then you have a couple friends and things like that. That's a seed you plant. Like, it's really cool. It's like all of your life can be really flourishing. Yeah, I think that's a good reminder for people to hear is that your life is enhanced when you're with someone that is a good fit for you or someone that's adding positive change into your life versus like you kind of shrinking, right? And you become like a, yeah. a shell of yourself. And, and, and what advice do you have for people that feel like they have a broken radar in choosing a good partner, right? So many people, more people than not have not had the best childhood, right? And they have all these, these patterns. And I don't know if you've heard of Harville Hendricks, but he talks about what you were bringing up earlier, of, you know, we unconsciously choose someone like uh, our one of our parents, and he typically says we choose the most challenging parent, oh, good. We, we, we are attracted to people because we're trying to heal yes, yes, this unresolved. So what is your advice? I don't know if you have students that have like, you know, opened up about this or how deep these conversations go, but what is your advice to help strengthen your radar? Is it the mega dating and the, the reflection and, mm. you know, cause you're also healing a lot of other stuff at the same time, you're healing attachment and you're healing, you know, potentially childhood trauma and, and other things. So what is your advice to help someone develop a healthy radar in the first place to know if they are choosing a good partner or not? Yeah. Mega date for sure. Set a goal of going on 20 dates in 90 days. And then every time after the date, do a voice memo to yourself or an audio note, stream of consciousness, like what I liked, what I didn't like. Uh, he didn't stand up to greet me. That felt really weird. That's going to be really important and doing it quickly. So you can see your patterns. If you're like, so this happened to me, I used to always choose really mean men. That was who I was attracted to. And when I mega dated, I had two men in the same week call me the C word wow. and I've never had anybody do that. And I don't think I deserve that. Um, but they were, they were the only two men in the experiment at that time that I was attracted to. So I was like, Oh my God, this pattern is really bad. Wow. Yeah. The only reason I saw that was because it was just so shocking. And the fact that it happened twice in such quick succession, I was like, what is going on? 
I did a process called Seven Levels Deep, which you may have heard of. It's a root cause analysis tool to help you uncover what is going on. And so my first question was, why am I choosing men who are mean to me? And the answer to that question became the beginning of the next question until I got to the root cause, which was like, I felt like I deserved it because I was used to it because I was used to criticism. Um, And so mega dating and then doing that seven levels deep where you really keep checking in and keep checking in. Why am I attracted to this? Why is this happening over and over? Um, Getting really clear about that. And then once you're clear about the root cause that's causing the problem, then the work begins. First, you got to identify it. Then you're like, oh, wow, okay, I got a problem here. And when uh, a student comes to me and tells me that they think they found the one, there's things that I look for that I would share this with somebody who is looking for the right one who maybe thought their radar was off. It's never the firecracker. So you might experience this person walk in the room, you're weak in the knees, you're like, oh my God, I'm having a full physical body experience. Well, that's important. That's something that's going to tell you something. It's probably a relationship that you need to have. But the person that, that I think is going to be the one that, that works out long run. And I've been watching people do this for 10 years is what I call the slow burn. Ah. Yeah. It's not the person that right off the bat, you're like, Oh my God, I'm like, I'm going to throw up. I'm so nervous. You know, it's, it's a person that you feel like you can be yourself with. You describe them like, hey, I've known this person forever. I can finish their sentences. It's so simple and easy and effortless to be with them. And a lot of times if we have radar is off, we are actually in a love addiction cycle where we're like so used to these highs and lows and roller coaster love. And that's not love. It's actually just addiction to chaos. And that often can happen if we had a a parent that showed us that. And a lot of our parents don't know how to love. So, you know, we might have seen just total chaos when it came to love or They may not have given us that reinforcement on a consistent basis that made us feel safe. And so we think love is this roller coaster. So pay attention to the slow burn, the person that you just always feel good with. Like, I just always feel good with this person and make sure to give them a chance, even if they're not perfect on paper. I love that. I mean, it's so funny. I felt not that you did this, but I felt kind of called out when you said all of that. I'm like, oh shit, that is totally what I had to, had to work on. You know, I, I was what I read this article and I really liked the way that this author of this article wrote it. They talked about the spark chaser versus the slow burner. And I feel like, you know, I definitely historically was a spark chaser and I also dated spark chasers because I was attracting my energy that I was right. So it's like, we'd both like it get hot really quick and then the flame would go out like as quickly as it got lit. And so I love the idea for the listeners to hear that the whole, the whole beauty of the slow burn. And you know, some people, you know, I've even had this argument with myself in the past, just like, oh, this sounds boring. You know, what if I'm not like 100% attracted, but like enough attracted? You know what I mean? Like people almost get negative about the slow burn, you know? Uh, But people like me might experience that where we're like, oh my God, is that a bad sign? Is there something wrong if I don't feel that? Right? So I love that you're bringing that up about how that's actually more of a love addiction for sure or like you're chasing Mm -hmm. that feeling or it's it's all chemicals too right there's like that hardcore dopamine hit of like ooh, i got my drug fix right love exactly and that is a more powerful love and sex are a more powerful drug than heroin so if you can look at these people that come into your life like from a spiritual perspective everybody who comes into your life is really important especially the ones that have a strong impact I look at those firecrackers as a catalyst. They're lighting the fire to open your heart to the love that you deserve. 
And it's really hard to like think that way when you're like, oh man, I'm totally in love with this person. Like that was my story too. I was in love with the total firecracker, awful, toxic person. Um, and that's why I was able to not mess it up with Tom. And so, yeah, just like keeping your heart open to that and, and not cutting it off too soon because it's boring. They say in addiction training or like, let's say you're um, an alcoholic, you love the highs. And so you deal with the lows. And so your whole life is like zigzag, zigzag, you know, like that. That's what you're used to. And then you stop drinking and all of life is like this. It sucks at first because you're like, this is so boring. My life will never have any excitement in it. But actually, when you settle down and you get used to that, you're like, dude, this is beautiful. The lows are not as low. The highs are, they're high in a different way. Like they're meaningful and they grow. You know, it's like that slow burn. Like I'm way further ahead in all these areas than I would have been if I would have just been like this forever. Absolutely. And I've even learned from my own experience that you get that same excitement from less chemical things like like you, you you get excitement just from like being in the room with somebody and like watching a tv show or like having a cool conversation it's not like this like intense game of cat and mouse where you're like when am I gonna hear from this person because you know that was exciting to someone's nervous system who's used to chaos and unpredictability which is mine that I'm mm-hmm. feeling right now things are more meaningful like it's like the little things become more meaningful than like mm-hmm. needing this huge grand gesture I feel like part of that nervous system healing is finding contentment and peace with not having to do that zigzag like you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so much, so much. And I, I can't blame myself or others for that, right? Or, you know, whatever we've experienced because we're also, a lot of society does condition, right? The Disney movie, the rom-coms that we watch, these love songs that we listen to, a lot of them romanticize, right? Sometimes that- Drama drama and the chaos and the intensity and the oh they left but maybe they're gonna come back because they're my soulmate things like that yeah 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 Yeah. so I think it's really cool that you brought that up and so tell us so you predominantly work with men so for anyone who's listening or perhaps has a friend or anybody in their life you know that they can think of how can people connect to you and work with you and what is that process like? yeah totally so you can find me on mloves.com it's e-m-l-o-v like victor z like zebra.com and then mloves on all the socials yeah so i work with people i i do a lifetime coaching program doesn't mean it's going to take a lifetime to find the person hopefully it's like 90 days Uh, I've seen people do it in five weeks, but I do like live coaching calls each week and people are able to ask questions in between sessions. I've got a really extensive online curriculum that's, that's basically been built up over 10 years and walks you through step-by-step everything you need to know to go from either not getting matches or getting matches you're not excited about in even in-person approach all the way to finding the right woman. In fact, I just heard uh, one of my students is about to propose. So exciting. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's really cool. It's really cool. So we get to see it all because we have the lifetime. So we're able to see when people get married and have babies and all of that. That's so awesome. And is there like an application process? Is there an age? Is it online? Is it in person? Like, what are some of the criteria that people should know if they want to work with you? Yeah, so I work with all ages. Everything is virtual. I work with people all over the country, pretty much. I I work really well with very smart, hardworking men. Oftentimes, they are they've done very well in their career, but maybe prioritize career a little too much, and they're like, "Oh man, I got to figure this out." 
Also, often I work with people who are coming out of divorce and they're like, man, there's no such thing as dating apps. Last time I was single, what am I supposed to do now? That's really common, but we work with all ages. And I love working with people who are younger, who are like, man, I really want to make sure I make the right choice early on, as opposed to, you know, my goal is to help people never get divorced and to find the right person forever. But we also work with people who are widowed and like all these guys have the same thing in common. You know, they want to find love. They're super serious about it. You know, it's a lifetime program. So it's definitely it's maybe a little bit bigger investment than it would be if you were working one-on-one with somebody just like hourly. But we found that that really helps people the most as opposed to like a quick band-aid fix. We want to make sure that they get all the way through the transformational process. I love that it's lifetime too. So you can kind of follow and you're you're this resource for them mm-hmm. at different stages of their life. That's so awesome. Do people that do get married and enter into that, do they still come back to you for advice at all for anything? Yeah, not, not super often. Um, I mean, I do have people who are in relationships who come back and there's a lot of like early stage courting phase stuff that people have questions about, like meeting the parents. And then how do we talk about finances once we're out of the courting phase? That's really interesting. Questions about sex come up, like things like that. So people will stay in touch. And also it's really cool because we've got a peer sharing format. So a lot of times the guys who are in relationships will share and help out the guys who are newer in the program, which is awesome. Cause it's like, yeah, man, they just went through what you went through and they've had success like recently, you know, so you've got boots on the ground as well as expertise. So it's really cool. That's awesome. I love the community aspect of people that are in relationships and they've been there, they've been through the ringer and they're like, Hey, here, let me support you in this. I've been through this. And that's so cool. That's awesome. I definitely recommend for men out there that want support. Emily is your go-to person for that, for dating and to help you find love. So I'm, and I'm so glad I got to have you on here to, to talk about your program and your experience and relationships in general. I think there are lots of gems in this conversation that will help anyone, no matter what stage in their relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I would love to connect with you. You can go to my show notes and connect with me through any of the links that are provided. And if you want to apply as a guest on my podcast, then the link will be there in my website as well to apply. Hope you have a wonderful rest of your morning, your afternoon, or your evening. Take care.